0: It's easy to find something cool, a technology that's going to be this amazing thing and, and solve this, this problem for management and then never get the, the, the traction. I, you know, it's, uh, I've learned over time, Todd, you've got to make it as simple as possible. And the most important thing is why. Why are we doing this?
1: Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software Great Tech Group. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to repel this great industry forward. My guest today needs no introduction. He's a great friend to the show and has encouraged me throughout the podcast journey, even helped us launch the show back in 2019. It seems like a long time ago. Josh Bone is the executive director of Electri International. Welcome back to the show, Josh.
0: Todd, it's good to be back. That uh, 2019 episode feels like a long time ago and a short time ago all at the same time.
1: <laughs> a lot has happened in in three years. It's, <laughs> it feels like that was at MEP Force when yeah, uh, yeah. you were one of the the, the keynotes there, and that, that feels feels like a long long time ago. <laughs> it does. It does. It does. Uh, so it's good to be here. Thanks. Great to great to have you back. Uh, what have you been working on over at Electri with, with all the research? What's kind of the, the big lesson learned so far this year?
0: Well, the great thing is I've got eight ongoing research projects, and we just funded two more. So we are doing a ton of research at Electri. We've got the council very engaged. Uh, a couple of things. You know, one of the things, I, I, laying it out, Electri's been around for 30-plus years, Todd, and we started with academic research, and that's what we were known for we're still doing academic research, but we're balancing out with applied research. So some of this applied research that we're rolling out is things that you know, contractors can operationalize in their business very quickly. We understand that the future is now, and when we started the foundational start, it was looking ahead 12 years. I can't imagine uh, only looking ahead 12 years now, that's so far out and think about how things are changing so quickly. So one of the things we did, we just partnered with mechanical contractors Association, their 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 research side, the John Gentilly Foundation, and Smackness New Horizon Foundation. We partnered with Document Crunch. We uploaded 180 contracts, and what we did is we looked at the 10 provisions that are really the most egregious provisions that impact specialty contractors. Mm -hmm. And so we went through this research and what we did is we identified pay when paid, liability, you know, these clauses and we determined best practice language, medium practice language, and then deficient language. Tied out of 180 plus contracts that we uploaded, the amount of red that we saw in deficiency of contracts is astonishing to me. I'll tell you, I'm blown away that you look at where we are as an industry. We've been on a good run for 12 years. And for some reason, the contracts are getting worse. And we want to partner. We want to do things. We want to deliver projects on time. We want to do all this. But these contracts, we go, we enter into this. It's a it's a scary proposition. I'm hearing things around the country right now that before you can even bid on work, you've got to agree to our contract before you can even bid on projects. So what we want to do is we don't want to weaponize any of our research or any of our data. I hope that contractors can use this research going forward. It's going to be done very soon. We're putting the final touches on the executive summary. I've got the data that's out there, but be able to take this research and talk to your general contractor, talk to, uh, be able to look at this and say, look, look at this deficient language that's in here. This is agreed to by attorneys that work for both specialty contractors, general contractors. How do we get aligned to be more partners in this process? We've got to make sure that we're, you know, entering into the, the game on a level playing field. I'm not talking about I'm just talking about fair contract language. I'm not talking about going all out and 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 being unfair. I'm just talking about fair contract language. So, I'm really excited about that research. And one of the things we rolled out earlier this year is our KPIs. You know me, and and I'm all about the data. If we can take data and, and datafy our contracts and. Look at what's deficient practice and medium standard practice and best practice, and go through pay if when paid, contractors' right to stop work, liquidated damages. We, if we can data it, turn that into data that we can open up and 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 have better conversations, that's powerful. And one of the other things we rolled out with our applied research, we partnered with Maxim Consulting, and we did a KPI study. We had over seven hundred contractors go out and and identify. You know, what, tell us basically what is how to measure your field to office ratios, the cost of generating an estimate. How many estimates do you send out a month? We did this based on the size of the contractor and the region that they're in. Because when I, when I look at one thing about all specialty contractors, when I'm talking to my contractors, Todd, they're super competitive, very competitive. I know I can motivate them through being competitive. So we went out and just measured what is it? $10 million a year contractor in, in the Midwest, what's their field to office ratio? How many bids do they send out a month? What's their win to, to loss ratio? What's the cost of an estimate? It it's today we operate in our bubble. It'd be like going to the doctor, getting your your annual physical and them saying, Todd, your your cholesterol is one ninety. Well, is that good or bad? I don't know. It's one ninety. You're 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 alive. It, how bad could it be? You know, you're 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 alive, you're breathing. Todd, you look you look very healthy. How bad can 190 be? When in reality, 190 is borderline. You need to do something, change your diet, change behavior. Right. Uh, our contractors are making money. But what we're trying to do is say, 190 in this area, there's opportunity to improve, to increase the health of your business, to increase your margins, to to lower your risk. You know, th- that's what we're trying to do with a key performance indicator study that we're putting out there. And we're diving into data across the board. And, and it, I believe data is going to be a... A, a big part of luxury going forward, how we take some of this data and turn it around and share and, and li- just elevate the industry as a whole.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. So going back to the the first thing that they brought up, we had uh, Josh Levy with document crunch on just a, a couple episodes back. Uh, and one of the, the things that I, I find fascinating with the, the contract language in today's environment is you know everybody talks that they they want really true collaboration and they they want to bring stakeholders together but the the contracts the way that they're designed is not (laughs) promoting that at all it's doing the direct opposite you're going in with the assumption that you're going to screw up and this is how i'm going to sue you when you do screw up instead of kind of flipping the the script on their the head and trying to I, i don't know what the ideal contract should be to create that kind of true collaboration but I know what we have right now is not enabling that environment at all that everybody says that they want.
0: Yeah. It, it's uh it, it's a right out of the gate. It, it's a contradiction that when you you talk about partnering and you look at the amount of risk that shifted and here's the thing, what we have to understand is we need to have these conversations because you know, what, what, what should be happening with, with increased risk is increased rewards. That's how businesses work with increased risk. There should be rewards. Unfortunately, I don't think a lot of our, uh, any, any contractors are out there. I don't think enough of them are reading contracts. That's a, that's a terrible thing. So people are signing contracts and now it's becoming the expectation that other people are going to sign this language in the contracts. But when you start to look at this and and a lot of times the, the good contractors see the language, they understand it, they read their contracts. Well, they have to pad their numbers to plan for that risk. And the mm-hmm. owners are paying for this. We need to have conversations that educate the owners and say, look, you've got to understand that this language in this contract, that's great. We're ready to sign it. But with that risk, you know, I, I've got to pad my number to be able to protect myself. And that, that happens in every industry. So there, there's a lot of education that needs to happen in discussion around contracts that enable us to do more offsite. That empower us to be more partners, on, better partners on the project. And you know, when, when we start talking about multi-trade and shipping racks across the city, and people working on them or co-locating, and you know, there, there's it's just a fast-changing industry. And our contracts need to be reflective of the work that we're doing. It, it, do, it shouldn't be this got you program. I think so often. To mitigate risk, we end up we end up putting something in the contract somewhere along the way because this one-off thing happened, and yeah, it, it, it's a it, it's a one-off, but now it's baller and everybody's got everyone has to address that, and so I, I hope that this research that all if if nothing else Todd, that it can it, then it could facilitate better conversations to when we look at this when you see it there's a lot of red on on this language i mean there's certain things that not one of our contractors of 188 contracts that we uploaded 100% were signing deficient language on our caps on liability 100% 188 contracts 100% of them were signing deficient language that's uh that, that's scary
1: yeah yeah, that's crazy. I think it, it pairs really nicely with the the data uh, research that you guys are doing too, to to bring a, a lot of that to light. Because I, I think the the more insights and the more information, the more uh, just objective data that that you can have.
0: Hey, trust through transparency, <laughs> that's right? right? That's, that's right. Build trust through transparency. I know it's scary not to hold those cards close to the vest, but. And that's what we've got to do. We're, you know, that's, we've got to have conversations and, uh, under, get that uh, respect for perspective.
1: Yeah. I I love that. So one of the things in construction with so much data coming in, it seems so easy to just be kind of overloaded by, by data, overwhelmed by it, not really knowing how to, how to sift through it. How do you encourage people to, to really get an influx of data coming in and then kind of sift through it and prioritize it of this is what is the, the important piece that I need to glean out of this. This is how I, I want to leverage the data. Here's, here's really what I'm looking for. How do you go about kind of mining uh, a data source?
0: Well, first it, it starts with collecting the data and ensure that you're getting good data. I mean, th- there's so much opportunity for us to look at just let's take attendance for example. And right now I, I say attendance, I don't call it absenteeism because I try to always look at the positive side of it. I'm not talking about absenteeism that, that has a negative connotation to it. So mm-hmm. you've got to be really careful when you're looking at data and, and you're running analytics. I'm fortunate that I have Amanda Harbison on my team who always corrects me in that, that, no, that don't, don't skew. You can, you can manipulate that data to, to, to tell you what it want what you want it to tell sure. you, but that's the wrong thing to do. So for example, on attendance, I, I push our contractors to build a process that is, is most representative of their workforce, and it allows them to collect data in the quickest, easiest, most passive way possible. Uh, me, personally, I, I, I would love to see people be able to go in and just do kind of their own check-in. It roll up through, there's, there's technology out there, it rolls over to the foreman, the foreman makes sure. Okay, hey, and we do daily reports. These weekly time cards, by the way, people can't remember what happened on Monday and it's Wednesday, right? So I can't remember if Todd left early. I think we've got to make sure that we're capturing good, accurate data first. So let's continue down this path of attendance. And when I start to, to be able to look at attendance, what I want to be able to do is ask better questions around the data. Data, when it first starts coming in, is let's look and see. Is overtime impact, impacting our attendance? So let, let's break this out and look at is overtime increasing our absenteeism? Are people showing up less? Are they showing up? You know, how's that impacted? Is is there a difference in fifty and sixty? Is there a difference in sixty and seventy-two? Is there? Yeah, you know, is it, what at what point does that start to break down? You, know, you you look at this and you can see, hey, what about four tens? How does that look? As there are certain times of the year? Todd, what I need is certainty. When I go to, to bid a job and I start to put this estimate together and I start to put a plan for this job together, if I've got data that I can go back and look over and trend it, that's the big thing because we do so much spot checking. Mm-hmm. That, that spot checking tells me, okay, it's July. That's great. What do we learn about July? But if I go back year over year and I start to collect this data, Now I can see, you know what, July is a terrible month for attendance. People are taking their vacation time. Maybe it's hot, so people lay out of work more because you get this string of 90-degree days. What does that mean? Once I have how many days of 90 degrees, what does that do to my attendance? I want to be able to go into a job and say, hey, let's talk about this contract. We'll go back to that. I need you to understand, I need to go to four tens in December. Because four tens in December, I'm going to get better attendance because I know December my attendance is off, and I know in July my attendance mm-hmm. is off. What can we do to be able to pull back and say we're working a ton of overtime? Well, every now and then I need to pull back and maybe have a couple weeks that we throw in a 40-hour work week in there. We, we've got to use data to have conversations and and make it factual, right? I, I think when you start. Looking at any of this, there's simple ways just through attendance that we can make better decisions going forward on bids, knowing when my impact, on my attendance is going to be impacted. If I could look at a project and see that we're about, to, they want us to carry a ton of overtime on this job. You want me there on this job six days a week. What what if what if I stagger my crews? What if I tell you I'm going to work three crews, four tens. I'm going to start a crew on Monday, start a crew on Tuesday, Wednesday. We'll be there six days. We'll have less stacking of trades. I'll have a better plan. I'll have better attendance. I have more certainty in, in what I can tell you when I'm scheduling my work. You now, I, I understand there's collective bargaining agreements out there that don't apply to that. But those are the things we've got to do with data. Todd, we've got to start having these conversations. And you know, we've got to make this industry more attractive from an attendance standpoint that we've got to be more adaptable in, in the schedules that we work. How we, you know, the the opportunities that we provide to these young people coming into the industry and even older people that uh, it's, I think, uh, you know, you you look at overtime now, it's, uh, I I think less people want it. There's still plenty of people that want overtime, but there's a lot of people that just want to work a Mm 40-hour work week. And uh, we're not known for that in construction. That starts at the very beginning, right? We take a 24-month project and somebody tells the owner, we can do it in 18. We'll, We'll do it in 18 months. We'll just work six days a week, 10 yeah. hours a day. Why not? No no, no, no consequences <laughs> right. to that decision, right?
1: right. Easy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Easy. I, I like the encouragement of, of stepping back and looking at the, the bigger picture. And instead of being more short-sighted uh, and just kind of seeing what's yeah. right in front of us on this one particular project, let's, there's so much great data and trend lines that we can look at if we start – taking that, that bigger picture approach in construction. I mean, there's, you, you have so much great information. It's, it always perplexes me that we don't always take the time at the end of a project to look at the, the whole life cycle of the project and then figure out how we can leverage what went right, what went wrong to do the next job better and really put those findings into it. And we, we take it project by project and like everything's a, a unicorn on this project, you know?
0: Yeah, well, you tear down that team. That team starts moving off. This foreman goes over to another job. We don't do the postmortems because the team starts to fall yeah. apart. As you know, the the crew starts to go on different jobs. The foreman, the field leadership, the the estimators have already moved on. So, I, I know this is a industry wide issue that, that, that most people do not do postmortems. Some do, and, and I'm sure they learn a lot from it. But I'd love to be able to do more of those postmortems. Yeah. And, I think uh, you know you go back to that data again, Todd. One thing I want to say is that we, we're learning that per, the number of purchase orders on a job has direct correlations to profit margins. That if you if you send more, the more purchase orders you send, there's a cost associated with every purchase order that that you send in, every invoice that you pay. There's cost associated with back office support. I mean, it, it's the data side of this. I can't stress it enough. It's by just knowing that purchase orders cost you more cost cost you margins and cost you profitability on jobs. How can you better plan work? How can you do bulk buys? It's we're, as we dig into it, it's really exciting to me the things we're learning from our contractors and opportunities that you know what you should never walk up to a counter and and order from a counter ever again. That means you've done no planning. You're just flying by the seat of your pants. You've got to make sure that you're out there planning work, putting out quotes and getting, Getting price a price that you'll get even on yeah. that quote is 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 better in doing bulk buys. So there's so much low hanging fruit and opportunity for us to improve. Why do you think
1: that as an industry they we don't do uh, as much of digging into the data and and spending time really sifting through it?
0: You know, it's. Working with data Mm -hmm. is tough. Uh, A lot of times people that are not familiar, again, I go back to Amanda. Amanda looks at the data and can be very objective Mm -hmm. with the data. I think a lot of times we look at things and and we all feel like we already know. We've already got that gut feel. Our industry has operated on gut and and been successful, right? We've we've (laughs) built amazing buildings. It's worked. And and to go out there and, and collect the data, I can't. A lot of the people I work with tell me I can't get the field to buy in, that they don't want to change the process, that they want to continue to fill out the paper forms. I think the data collection process, even, you know, we put a 360 camera in the hand of, of your workers and they go out there and use open space or construction site. That's so easy to take pictures, Todd. What do they tell us? The problem is they're not taking enough pictures. It's it's the data collection part that is adding a step in the process that is 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 keeping us from digging into that data because we're not collecting mm-hmm. the data up front. I think that has a lot to do with it. It's foremen are busy, teams are busy, everybody's got a lot on their plate. I didn't take time, or I don't want to change this process. You know, it doesn't work one time when we go deploy that new app on our, on the iPad that for time tracking. And now we're done. Let's go back to the paper forms and those paper forms now have to be the redundancy, the errors, the omissions, and we don't have any data. So it's, and, or if it is data, it's coming through our accounting system. It's lagging. What, you know, that that's uh lagging data is, is not as efficient as, as leading data. So it, you yeah. know, it, it diminishes the value.
1: Yeah. One of my, Kind of big pet peeves is, is when you're rolling out a new process and whoever's doing the, the rollout uses the same why for every single stakeholder in the process because it's easy. You know, this is the why, but maybe that was the why for, you know, management to, to buy into it and, and purchase the, the software. But that why is you have to adapt it and change it to the different stakeholders because everybody's going to have a different why, you know, you, people in the field, it, they might get the, yeah, that I, I get why management wants this, but it gives no benefit to me. Why am I going to spend so much extra time and learning this new s- system and new process? And it's not faster anyway. It's not the, my old way was more efficient. I was better at it and blah, blah, blah. Instead of taking the time to really sit and unpack from their vantage point, how it's better and how it's more efficient, and how it's going to help them, uh, the, drives me crazy. And then people wonder why they didn't buy into it. Well, you never get yeah, a reason yeah. why they should care. Low adoption,
0: <laughs> low adoption yeah. rates, because we're not telling them why. I, I, I agree with you. I'm, and I look at it. I look back on my career as a construction technologist, and I've been guilty of that. I, I uh, you know go out there and it's easy to find something cool, a technology that's going to be this amazing thing and, and solve this this problem for management and then never get the, the, the traction. I, you know, it's, uh, I've learned over time, Todd, you've got to make it as simple as possible. And the most important thing is why? Why are we doing this? And, and we're going through an exercise right now in a shared market study. Uh, we call it our shared mar- uh, uh, market metrics program. And we're partnering with IBW locals and our NECA chapters and to get this reports monthly from these contractors it's some simple simple data it's a single sheet but to get that from them we're still working on the, the why is we're, we're going to have to get there to actually show them something they understand why we're doing this because mm-hmm. the uh, it, there there is a we've, we've sold the why but it still has to go through that pain of adding one more thing to their their process and you know, sometimes even the why is, is is not enough. I think if we could get them to do it, and we can get a couple of reports out there, and then we could gain some traction, then that why would be magnified, and I think we can get more consistent buy-in on a monthly on a mo- or this monthly program we're trying to roll out.
1: Hey innovators, is there a way to prepare your company for successful implementation of technological innovation? After over 115 episodes talking with some of the best minds in the construction industry, the answer is a resounding yes. There are building blocks that you can put into place that will form the foundation for your company to successfully implement technology. I have compiled my thoughts from those conversations into a new ebook simply titled, Foundational Building Blocks for Successful Tech Adoption. You can download the ebook for free at our website, bridgingthegappod.com. After you have, I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, keep innovating. Yeah. Uh, so shifting gears a bit, how do you think the, the uncertainty in the economy is going to impact construction in this back half of the year?
0: I am very optimistic myself, uh, you know, right now we've got the supply chain challenges that are out there, especially mm. in the world of electrical, getting equipment is such a challenge. Uh, we just did a live webinar last week on supply chain challenges. David Long, the CEO of NECA moderated it. And with Schneider, ABB, Sonopar, and Graybar, they told us that the challenges we're having right now, it's not going away anytime soon, two, possibly three years. years—and the procurement world and how we procured in 2019, will never go back to that. So the mm-hmm. way that we procure, we'll never go back to it. That is my concern right now that lead times on medium voltage, switch gear, that that's, it's crazy. It, it's, I mean, you're talking in many cases over a hundred weeks lead time when a project may only be a 40 week project. So it's, it's, it's a real challenge. That is, is a concern to me, how we overcome this I believe on the back end, what we hear as far as resi- a more resilient supply chain, it, it's going to look different. Those are opportunities to, to do better. Uh, with all that being said, though, that concern, I look at the backlog of our contractors. I look at the money that's out there and capital projects. I look at, at where we are. We may hit a recession but I, I, I believe from a construction standpoint and where we're at with backlog, the need, the money that's out there from the owner standpoint, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm very bullish in, in thinking that we're going to navigate this, this you know, what, whatever level of recession that it is that comes up. I think construction is going to remain in a good place. I hope we can get inflation under control. Uh, I think that would continue to help. But I just think there's still enough of a demand that, that we're in a good spot. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it seems like, so, uh, you know the the last couple of years, uh, construction has been so robust, and, and has the demand has been so crazy. <laughs> it, it doesn't yeah, seem slow. the backlogs
0: are out there, are <laughs> record backlogs right now. I mean we we've gone through a pandemic, and a lot of markets have had the, the most they they've broken the number of hours they've worked. Uh, you know, as I look at our, our pension funds and everything that are out there, they're, they're, rec- they're breaking records of all time. Most hours worked. And, you know, it's it's uh, it, it, it's it's amazing uh, to see the just the demand for construction that's out there. And Todd, look at the amount of mega projects that are, are going on around the country, whether it's semiconductor plants, whether it's you know, so they're building chips, uh, their battery manufacturing, steel plants. There's more mega Billion dollar projects around the country, then, then, uh, you know, I, I can't even wrap my head around it. There's so many of these projects popping up around the country, all over, an yeah. abundance of work and opportunity. Now, now there, that and that comes with challenges too. That level of growth and manning and and putting, you know, the, building a labor force that can support that type of work, I think that's going to be our challenges and getting the getting costs somewhat in check. But the, the demand is there. Uh, Manufacturing is coming back to this country following the pandemic and uh, that's going to be a lot of opportunity work for my contractors. And I'm I'm excited. I'm, I think we're in, I think we're in a good place.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that the pandemic taught us that we need the, the the manufacturing and the the infrastructure here in the States, because if something like this happens again, hopefully not, but (laughs) a knock on wood,
0: Uh, not in our lifetime. (laughs) That's right. But we need it here. You know,
1: We, we need all the, we need the supplies here. We don't, you're never going to, uh, as you, you said, you're never going to go back, but we need, we need the infrastructure. We need the supplies. We need the, the manufacturing here for sure. I think
0: everyone understands that. And I think we're going to come out better on this on the back end after it's, after it's all said and done. You know me though, I'm an optimist.
1: I like it. Yeah. Uh, so how will construction look different? Do you think in the next five years?
0: So I will say, industrialization of construction has already started. Mm -hmm. The industrialization of of, uh, how we bend conduit, how we pull wire, how we manufacture off-site now. Uh, We were talking briefly about these multi-trade racks that have electrical, sheet metal, mechanical. it's, It's industrializing. And as you look at other industries that have industrialized, you see the big get bigger. And specialties start to form, and I think that's what you're going to see is you're going to start to see contractors develop their their niches, their specialties, and they're going to start to to really hone their craft and other in, in very specific areas. Uh, on the electrical contracting side, we we call it systems integration, but smart buildings. You look at the amount of money that's being invested out there in electrical digital twins. Siemens just bought Brightly for $1.5 billion. So Siemens is going digital, uh, Schneider is going digital. Uh, you know, you, you look at across the board, ABB is going digital, uh, GE is going digital. So the, the ability to operate and maintain buildings and having service contracts, th- that's going to be a new world. The mechanical contractors have been doing this for decades, signing service contracts. Service contracts are coming for electrical contractors. There was not much service opportunity for, for pipe and wire, right? They just, you put wire in a pipe and the conduit was there and it nothing you could do. But now, the connected systems of a building, you, you know, I've been, there's a lot of utilities getting into this market. They're investing massive amounts of money in software, utilities companies are, and their go-to-market strategy is going to be a great opportunity for electrical contractors. You know, most of my world today is in in electrical contracting. That's what I'm really excited about. But you see what's happening with the general contractors. I was reading something the other day, one of the big GCs that we know that had evolved into this CM saying, we're no longer a CM, we're a GC. We self-perform. We've got, we do bathroom pods. We do head walls. We provide, you know, we carry 12 different trades under our brand. And so it's, you're seeing that. Offsite site is is across the board. Owners are demanding it. There is GCs now are coming back to performing work because they realize you know managing the project is uh it it you, you've got to add some value to it. So you see them getting back into self-performing work. Uh, I I do think these schedules are nuts, but I don't think it's going to change, Todd. I think they're going to continue to push schedules to a breaking point. Mm-hmm. And the only way that we can do this is through offsite manufacturing, industrialization, the bigger going to get bigger and the small, better diversify and specialize. Mm-hmm. So it's, we've got plenty to look at. I've got a, the, the agricultural industry is a good model for us to to mimic and represent. I've, I've done some talks lately about dairy, the dairy farming industry and, and how it, it, there's a lot of things we can learn on the electrical contracting side of the world.
1: Interesting. So as we, are entering in—it's already here—that this next generation of uh, uh, construction process. How do you then recommend reaching out to the the next generation of workers and, and bringing more younger uh, people into the construction workforce?
0: You know, I think we need to do a better job selling the whole package of the construction industry. Mm-hmm. We we. You know, a lot of, a lot of what we see out there is Micro does an amazing job. He talks about electricians, plumbers, your HVAC technicians. And that's what most people think of when they think of construction. They think of the people out there doing the work on a construction site with the hard hats, the, the PPE on, they got their safety vests on and they're installing. That's what parents, that's what counselors, that's what they all think about. Mm-hmm. Well, construction technology is that you can be a construction technologist we need Cisco engineers we need accountants we need you know our, our industry needs so much more we, we now these smart buildings the ability to to operate maintain the buildings and, and have these connected systems we need procurement specialists. we need logistics specialists we our industry ha- has has changed so much and using the technology that's out there, I want kids to understand that we need electricians. Yes, we need electricians, but we also need these systems engineers like a a Cisco certified operator. We need procurement managers. We need estimators. We've got management and labor opportunities. And, you know, there's white collar, there's blue collar, and we need all the above right now in this industry. So it's, uh, I I think, getting out there, we've been doing our part, Todd, to, to try to get out there to students we show them the Hololens. We show them how you can go out and do virtual reality training, and and wire up a switch, wire up a outlet, wire up a three-way switch. We do all that through virtual reality training. We've been doing the the Lego exercise and using BIM that that Benjamin Crosby created a long time ago. We've been doing that same exercise, and these kids are seeing the opportunities. Their parents are seeing the opportunities and the counselors now who had been so motivated to send kids to college realize that the trades and all the opportunities around the trades to be a construction technologist, to be a layout specialist, to be a drone operator, that that world has changed. And there's the thing I still love about the, our construction industry. I look at my contractors that I work with and they're self-made. They, it doesn't matter if you went to college, where you graduated college, it doesn't matter about so many other things that that based off your work ethic and your ability to communicate and, and problem solve, or at least have the relationships to find the right people to solve the problems, the sky is the limit for, for you. The American dream is still alive and well in this industry. And I hope every parent understands that. There's so many different paths that their kid can take in this industry that's counselors understand the opportunities that I love that the American dream is still alive and well in our industry. You and I get to see it. We get to work with some amazing people that you know, grew up in yeah, in poverty. And, you know, now they've got to, you know, a really nice fishing boat or a, a, a nice little private plane. And, you know, they're, they're, they're doing really well for themselves. Not that it's all about money. Our industry is very rewarding. You have, there's a, a big a sense of pride in what we do every day and in this industry. And that's not a bad thing either. Yeah. Preach.
1: Yeah, it was good. I more than agree with, with all that. That was uh, the whole time you were thinking before you got to the America Drew part, I was like, yeah, America is yeah. <laughs> just true. Uh-huh. I, I think it's a, it's a great, example of that the american dream is for sure alive and well and we need to get that that message out starts with education just exposure of of what is actually happening in construction today people have have no idea i tease a lot that when i say i i host a podcast around construction technology to people outside the industry they look at me like that's an oxymoron, like that, that Yeah. <laughs> there's no technology. What is it? A it? hammer?
0: <laughs> a hammer? A drill? Battery powered tools? Wow. That's no. We do amazing things with technology. We do laser scanning. We do digital layout. We, you know, we we use we use push stop cutters and yeah, it's 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 industrializing. So it yeah, you, you have that conversation. I have that on the plane a lot myself. I still identify as a construction technologist and you're what? Yeah. What is that? Yeah. Three D modeling. Have you ever heard of BIM? No. What is that? So it's like that's that's a career in itself. Go do BIM.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, so if you, if I could give you all construction power and you can, you can snap your fingers and innovate one aspect of the industry right away, mm. what would you innovate?
0: Wow, that's uh, that, that's that's a great question. I'm going to think through this for just a second because Go you know, I'm going to think out <laughs> With loud great power comes great because,
1: responsibility, yeah, Josh. <laughs> it
0: does. It does. You know, I, listen, Todd, I, I stay awake sometimes thinking about, am I doing the right thing? When I first started in our industry, I was working doing 3d modeling. I was on a job site and a guy came up to me doing running coordination and said, how how do you feel about taking food off my kid's plate? I was like, what? And, and I, I said, I'm sorry, I don't understand. He's like, you know, I'm I'm just trying to coordinate, make sure we don't make mistakes. Those mistakes, you know, give me hours. Now, I think that that mentality has changed a lot. That 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 a lot of now the field's embracing that, and that that's changed. That was 24, 25 years ago. That was a long time ago. But I think with that, and the one thing that we have to be able to do in our industry is is it it probably goes back to to building true partnerships and being more open. If I, if I could change anything, it crazy enough as it is probably going to go back to contracts. I mean, I, that's where my brain went initially. And then I, I tried to think of something else, but Todd, I I just think it is at the very beginning. We are, 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 we are pitting ourselves. We're putting ourselves in a box and it's, we've seen so many of those cartoons with the, the, the plumber, the electrician, the 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 you know pipe fitter in the boat and then you got the the drywall guy there bailing out and they're pointing and laughing. It it's it's across the board that that we do have to have more partnerships and and leverage data to be more transparent to help each other out. I think if we could work together, be more open, that we all had respect. I think today unfortunately a few bad actors. You have one bad electrical contractor that does something, it impacts a general contractor, a mechanical contractor, or if it's, if it's a drywall, you know, whatever it is, it it creates this, everybody's bad mentality in our industry when in the most part, most people are really good and they're very talented and good at what they do. If I could do anything, that would be, I would have every job start off with architects and engineers, let them do their job to the best of their ability, but they don't know pricing. They don't know means and methods. I would have a contract that's out there that is fair. We're building a data center. Why is an electrical contractor who's carrying a lot of risk on that job signing the same subcontract as a roofing contractor that's carrying a small percentage of risk on that job? Mm-hmm. We should have contracts that architecture, not so great. It's a data center, right? What, what do we need here? Let's get the engineers involved. Let's talk about this up front. How can we save money? How can we save schedule? What's realistic with our workforce? If we could sit down at the table and, and build a program around that project that, um, that we believe is a unicorn, but our contracts are all boilerplate, let, let's, let's talk about that project that's a one-off and, and make sure that the risk is, is fairly distributed and that you know there there should be a contract for who's carrying the majority of risk versus those that are you know in- installing the awnings on the outside of the building that the fact that I was a I had my own BIM consulting business I signed the same contract that the mechanical contractor did on a big massive casino hotel job and I I didn't want to sign that contract for my little company. I can't imagine that that, con- that mechanical contractor on that job that was carrying millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of, of risk wanted to sign, sign the same contract I did. So I I hate it, but I think it goes back to the start, putting a real plan together, getting the owner in the room, understanding their expectations. What do you want to accomplish on this job? You know, what? what is, and hey, you know what? Give us a little bit of why. Why are you building this? What does this mean for this community? What does this mean? Let's uh, you know. Let's, let's 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 get people fired up about what they do and and believe in what they're doing right out of the gate.
1: Uh, I think that's a great great answer. Great thing to innovate for sure. <laughs> uh, so, how do people find out more information and, and connect with you?
0: I, I appreciate that opportunity. I'm very proud of the work that we're doing at Electri. As I said, we've got a lot of research ongoing. We've got thirty plus years of, of research that's out there. You want to find out about the financial impacts to a project delay? Go to electri.org. You can set up a free account. Anybody, it doesn't matter who you are, can go to electri.org, set up a free account, and then have access to all of our research. If you have a question that you're looking for something specific, email me, josh.bone at electri.org. You you know me, Todd, I like to help people. And uh, what we're doing at electri, I'm very proud of the work. We've got an amazing team. Uh, we got a great council that, that helps support us. We just had our meeting last week in DC and, uh, got big plans, you know, big plans for what electric is going to be in the future and how we can help this industry move forward.
1: Awesome. Well, final question for you. What does innovation mean to you?
0: You know, it means change. Uh, I heard the other day, so it's, it's, uh, not all change is progress, but all progress is change. And, and innovation is that mindset that, that is, you know, we're always looking for a way to do it better. It, it, you know, it, whatever that is, is just safer, more cost effective you know, with with whatever resources it is. It's an innovative person is you know, the most simple thing is the best. But in some cases, simple is not the answer. So it's just always striving to do better and and embracing change nice well,
1: josh as always thanks so much for for taking the time and uh, for your support and encouragement over the years always appreciate talking with you, you do
0: great work buddy you do great work todd i'm really proud of you bridging the gap is a great podcast and uh, you're doing great things for our industry and it's always a pleasure
1: bridging the gap is hosted directed and produced by todd wyant edited and produced by eric daniel Bridging the Gap is an Applied Software production. Copyright Applied Software 2022.